Well, as tired as I am, it's good to be here, especially with you guys. Uh, you weren't here for last week's message, um, but I got back into Acts. We got back into Acts for Wednesday. I felt like the Lord was prompting me to, to teach it last week, and I feel like, all right, we'll do it again this week. You know, I think it's good that we spend time in prayer here, and that's probably the most important thing we can do here, but sometimes... You know, I think it's good to do stuff on Wednesdays and, and study. But uh, speaking of studying, I haven't really studied the rest of this chapter. I've read through it a couple times. Obviously, I've read through Acts and know Acts, you know, a little bit. Um, so it'll be a little bit more informal. Um, I do kind of have a title, I think. It's Away With Him. It's uh, from Acts 21. Hopefully, we'll cover 15 through 36. But last week... Since you weren't here, well, although, uh, you know, you may have read it before, Paul and his missionary companions were on their way back from their third missionary journey. Uh, they had traveled. They had left uh, really believers behind who they were close with, who they may have known from other missionary journeys past coming through the area and planting churches. And some they may have only known for the time that they stayed with them a week, a few days. But each time that they left and they separated, uh, there was this genuine tearing away that they had this fellowship, this communion in the gospel. You know, these people walked with them to the shore when they were going to get on the cargo ship and go to another area. Um, that there was genuine love there. And, you know, there's people in our lives, you know, I shared last week that, uh, you know, we're around and we, we're friends with and we're genuine with. But then when the season to move on goes on, you move on and, you know, you lose touch. That's just a natural part of life. But there's others who, uh, even if you've only known a little while, you just have this connection to, especially in the gospel. I mean, in the world, we can have fast friends and best friends, but there's certain people that, like Paul said, I've known like minded, but Timothy, there's people that are, uh, you just get knit to, whether it's just from fellowship or prayer or ministry or just going through a hard time together, that it's unlike anything else. And that's, you know... That's the most important thing is that we, we count our relationships and their importance based on, um, based on the spirit, based on the fellowship. Uh, not that, uh, and by, when I mean that, I don't mean that certain people or certain friendships are uh, better than others in the sense that, you know, some people aren't worthy to be your friends or, you know what I mean, that you might be preferential. But in the sense that, man, how do we really select our friends? Well, I think sometimes the Lord selects them for us and they're people that... Uh, you know, it doesn't mean there's not going to be effort there. There's people that we're going to uh, just have that kinship, that fellowship that we really need to uh, to not take for granted. And there's a few people in our lives that I know that, um, you know, that just we have that. And there's other people that I I feel I had that with and have that with and would want it restored. But the relationship's just not there now. But maybe it'll be uh, again one day. But to really cherish those friendships and care for them because uh, they don't come often. In the day and age of <laughs> social media, video chat, Zoom, um, you know, we take communication for granted. I think, you know, I left my phone at home and I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if she's coming or not coming or if the car broke down or not, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know, got my car for sale. I don't know if people are gonna contact me or not, but you know, it doesn't matter. We take it for granted, the ease of communication and you know, uh, we shouldn't, we should really take care of those relationships and pray for them and uh, 
be glad when, when God gives us them because there's so many people who have light friendships, but to have that true friendship, that's something special, and that's more than family. Um, but with that, as they went on, they traveled, uh, Paul kept getting this word that he wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem, or at least that's the way they were interpreting it. God kept showing through uh, people who had the gift of prophecy or just a word of knowledge, and then one guy who was an actual prophet tied up his hands with a belt, and they all gave the message that Paul was going to have problems and serious problems when he gets to Jerusalem. And I don't know if I'm reading into it or not, but I, I get the sense that everyone got that word from the Lord, but then extrapolated it to mean that he shouldn't go. That Paul, how can you go? You're going to get arrested. You're going to get beaten. They want to kill you. How can you go? You're going to be bound up. You know, that they, they, they all had this spiritual gift and word from the Lord, but then they applied it because they loved Paul so much. They didn't want to lose Paul. And so when they received a word from the Lord that Paul was going to face opposition, they took it to mean, Paul, don't go. And we talked about how, you know, it can be wise to take those things into consideration and not just run headlong into trouble, thinking that, oh, persecution means I'm going the right way. Or no persecution means I'm going the right way. That everything's easy. This must be the right way in life. You know, again, we, can, we can't make our decisions. We can't allow our path to be determined by physical things. Because I just read even last night in Corinthians, it talks about uh, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. That, yeah, we need to be wise. We need to be practical. We need to plan and purpose. But at the end of the day, if we're led by the Spirit, sometimes we have no idea where we're coming from and where we're going, but we know God is, is leading. And God's going to take us sometimes places that make no practical sense away from everything we know and love into a place where we don't have work or we don't have family or we don't have friends. And other times he may take you right into the midst of open arms who know you and love you. So, again, we can't be caught up in, and make our decisions based on earthly reasoning. Um, and Paul says that. Paul says, I am ready... Um, I'm ready to die. Where is it? Uh, he says in 13, uh, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That Paul, his whole life and ministry, he's gone from persecuting Christians to now ready and willing to die that others might hear Jesus' name. Uh, and the change of that man. I'm sure that didn't happen overnight. I mean, Paul was a, a wild guy, but when he says, I'm ready, I feel... And maybe again, I'm reading into it, but I get the sense that this is something the Lord had been preparing him for his entire walk, his entire life. Um, and part of me gets chills, kind of thinking, oh man, to be martyred for the Lord, what an honorable way to die. But then when I actually think about, you know, maybe having my nails ripped out or limbs cut off or being tortured or separated from my family or locked in a small box or whatever they might do to torture me, I go, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> you know, Jesus would say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Paul was willing and weak enough to go. And, and so that's where we pick it up today, that he's ready to go. Uh, and when they left ways, they said, you know what? The Lord's will be done. And, what a, uh, and that's what true friends will do. When you have a disagreement about interpretation of the, the word of the Lord, unless it's clear in Scripture, you know, and it's not something heretical that best way to say is, you know, let the Lord's will be done. You know, we see it differently. We see Paul that you shouldn't go. And Paul says, I believe I should go. And I say, you know what? Well, let's see what the Lord would have. And I think that that's the most healthy way uh, to not try and control someone 
I mean, tell them if you feel a certain way about it, but at the end of the day, don't let it be something that makes you part ways, especially when there's that, that kinship, that fellowship. Uh, so God, as we get into your word, we pray that you would just enlighten us by your spirit. God, sometimes when we don't know what to do, the best thing to do is just to do what we know. And so tonight, we just want to spend time in your word. We know that if we read it, we'll be blessed. And God, selfishly, we just desire a blessing from you to hear your word. Um, and God, we just pray that uh, anyone listening would be blessed as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we'll pick it up in Acts 21, verse 15. It says, And after those days, uh, we packed up and went to Jerusalem. So that's Paul and a bunch of uh, the guys who were with him on the trip. Uh, there was a, a list of names I had last week, but I don't remember them all. Uh, and also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nation of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So they're going to go stay at this guy's place. And when we had come to Jerusalem, uh, the brethren received us gladly. Uh, and on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And when he agreed to them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Uh, you know, that they, they went to Jerusalem. Uh, they met with the elders of the church. The church greeted them there. And that's such a blessing when, to be able to come somewhere and meet with uh the church, you know, like when we were living in Maryland and visited home, and you know, well, when, you know, our home church in New York, that uh, we, it was always just a blessing. It was like we knew we were going to get hugs, we knew people were going to be happy to see us, and you can't always say that about everywhere you go. And I think that after a long trip, especially traveling all over their world and facing the trials that they did, getting bit by snakes and shipwrecked and beaten and all sorts of things and starting riots, that to come home to a warm welcome. Was needed, and you know, I think back to like, you know, I obviously was wasn't alive yet. I was born in '81, but the Vietnam War and all the stories of the soldiers who came home and they weren't, they didn't, you know, whatever you think about the war or not. But these soldiers who were over there, you know, some drafted, some not, come home and they're not really receive a warm welcome. What kind of a hard thing that would be, and, uh, and uh, how important it is that we welcome those home who are out fighting for us, and that's. What Paul and the guys are doing, but they met with James, and my uh, assumption here is that that's the half brother of Jesus, as he's one of the disciples, one of the elders here, um, and all the elders were present. And we agreed to them. He told in detail saying that God had done among the Gentiles for his ministry. That all, you remember, all these people got saved. There was uh, the girl who was possessed that the, I believe was in Ephesus that they were using to uh, fortune tell, but she was it was a demon that was doing it, and then Paul cast the demon out of the, out of the girl, and everyone got mad because now they couldn't make money off her anymore um you know but so many people who came to know the lord who got saved who so many churches were planted all these things that happened just because these men were willing to go and go into a town and say hey this is jesus this is the answer you know they met with the jews they met with gentiles uh, and many believed and and uh and i heard recently that in, I, don't, I don't know enough details about it so hopefully it's not whack but I had heard something about in Southern California that uh, there's some sort of uh, revival type thing going on. Many people getting saved. And, you know, the Lord's not done in our day and age, too. If we're willing to go, whether it's one person or, you know, a thousand, you know, God wants to use us and send us. And, and that's really the Great Commission. You know, I, I think a lot of times we look at Paul and these guys who went out on the missionary journeys. And we go, oh, that, that was them. And that was a certain subset of Christians. And. I get it. Not all of us is going to go to China or, uh, you know, go to some backwoods 
part of the Amazon. Uh, but in some sense, we're all, we're all to go. We're all to make disciples. Jesus said, you're going to all the world to make disciples of all nations. That, that's the Great Commission. That, you know, I think, for me, I feel like, why did it take me so long to realize that that was the call, to go out and just keep doing it? I, I just kept feeling like, oh, I'm not ready, or I'm not the right person, or that's for somebody else, and it can't be me. God can't be calling me to do that. Like, why would he call me? Well, he's calling everybody to do it, because we're not, we're not who we think we are. We are, like we talked about in the other message, uh, uh, a big part of our, our identity obviously should be in Jesus, but in the gifts he gives us. If he's made you a prophet, you're to prophesy and speak the word of the Lord like it's very oracles of God, the scripture says. If you're an evangelist, that's who you are. You are designed, you're not able to do without the spirit filling you, but it's like your design. You know, it's like you got to put the right batteries in a remote control, right batteries in a car for it to do, to what it's supposed to do, the right type of gas in your, in your truck to go. Um, and that's what the Holy Spirit is. You know, if you're, if you're a big four by four monster truck, you're designed to go off road and stomp cars. If you're a jet, you're designed to fly, right? And that's the same thing with our gifts. When God puts his fuel, his dunamis Holy Spirit power in us, we're designed to do those things. That's who we are. You know, I believe God's given me a gift of teaching. Whether I'm any good at it or not, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. But the point is, is that when I'm with the Lord, that's just naturally what I'm going to do. As I spend time with him, that's all I want to do. You know, uh, I'll do it as long as people will listen. And if people don't listen, I'll do it for a little while until the Lord tells me to go find some other people. But that's the same thing. You know, if you're an evangelist, you, we've got it. I know I don't want to get off on a rant, but I think we've got it so backwards. We're all to go. We're all to do. We're all, you know, like the American model of the church is, I think part of being in that blessing, that easiness became, we all got ease and sat back in the pews like they did in Jerusalem until the diaspora. Because it's been so easy. We haven't, we haven't had any pressure. And now that there's pressure, God's like, you can't even meet in a building anymore, more than 10 of you. So why don't you guys go meet over there and you guys go meet over there and who knows what the Lord will do through that. So he shares them and says in verse 20, when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And isn't that important that, you know, that, I think that's the real test of where the listener's heart is and where the speaker's heart is or where the share, you know, it's like a lot of people can come back and say, so many things about their trip or about their journey, and it may be in a Christian setting, but it can almost, you know, and we all do it, you know, I'm not above it, but it's about glorifying them. And look what I did, I did this on the missions trip. But when you really share something and someone really receives it, you both glorify the Lord and there's an edification in there. And, and uh, people aren't like, wow, what a great speaker. They're like, wow, like, that's amazing that God did that. And I think, again, in America, we tend to focus on the messenger versus the one who sent them. This, maybe it's culture, I don't know. But they glorified the Lord and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they all are all zealous for law. So I look, God's doing stuff here too in Jerusalem. There's so many Jewish people who have come to know Jesus. Verse 21, But they have been informed about you, about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. Uh, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Uh, you know that Paul, because he was teaching grace and Judaism had become obviously very much wrapped up in the law of Moses and legalism, uh, that as soon as Paul began to teach grace, 
Well, the super legalist people who didn't get it misinterpreted his teachings and began to spread rumors falsely that, you know, uh, Paul is teaching to disobey Moses. When Paul's not teaching that at all, he's teaching that Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. Um, you know, uh, and, and I find that that happens today. You know, the Bible talks about receiving accusation against an elder with only two or three witnesses, right? That sometimes someone will come to you and tell you something about a ministry or about a person or what they said, and it's so much better to, to hear it firsthand and hear it from a couple believers say, well, you know, ask around. Ask around some other people who respect before you begin to judge a ministry or a person. Um, but, you know, I, we think our times are so different than their days, and it's the same day. You know, you teach grace, you teach that you can be forgiven, that God can restore a person, that God can use someone. Um, you know, you'll get in trouble these days for it. You know, be like, you're too graceful. Can you be? I get, like, overlooking sin and letting someone continue in sin, and that's not what I mean, but the fact that if someone's repentant and God is clearly working their lives, why would you ever come against that? You know, let the will of the Lord be done. So it says, uh, the assembly must meet, they hear what you have come, you know, that they wanted to make sure that everyone knew that Paul was there and what he was really about, and they were also going to, as we're about to read, set an example. They say, verse 23, therefore do what we tell you, for we have four men who have taken a vow, so they've like shaved their heads and they've taken like a, uh, a Nazarite vow at the time. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that uh, all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Uh, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offering idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. So saying, Paul, you know, we know you're all right. But we need to set an example to these people. Uh, you know, even Paul would say in other areas of scripture that, you know, I, I, I desire to be all things to all people that I might win some. You know, Paul knows he doesn't need to obey the law and Judaism to please God. He knows that Jesus already did that. But the Jews are a little confused. You know, there's Jews among the Gentiles who are trying to fit in their society. Maybe they're not, you know, as much into their customs as they are in Jerusalem. And there's Jews in Jerusalem, this religious epicenter, uh, even today, where they're very religious, they're obeying the laws, they're able to go to uh, the synagogue and the temple. And, uh, you know, it's got to be a hard thing to do. I mean, Paul went into the wilderness after he became a Christian, to, and I believe the Lord reconciled with him uh, all the things he had believed growing up about, you know, oh, this is what the Lord meant by that. Oh, God didn't mean that at all. Or, oh, this is what the law was really talking about. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, it's a hard thing to call into question everything you've believed your entire life. That you've been raised in something, you've believed something, you've practiced something, you've tried to gain access to God through something, and then one day someone tells you, you don't have to do all that. That's all been done. I mean, it's hard to break habits. It's hard to do anything different sometimes. We get into our groove and we like to do it, and soon as our schedule is bloop, off just a little bit, it messes it up. I know that. I'm, I like I'm in certain order to things. Uh, but this, for a Jewish person, this was their whole life. If, if, and there was a fear wrapped up in that. If they were expelled from temple or banished, how, how are they going to get to their God? They're going to feel left out from the entire community. It's not just church on Sunday. It was their whole life, their whole community. 
And so when the gospel comes and shows that Jesus fulfilled it, and they're very most strict religious leaders who everyone revered, who apparently looked like they did everything right on the outside, were so against this movement, and yet they have this tug in their heart, this belief, how to reconcile those two, that's hard for them. And so it makes sense that some were stumbled in their faith. It makes sense that others spread rumors. It made sense that others came against them. And so Paul goes out to do this ritual with them to show them that he's not talking about abolishing the law, that he's in fact in this example going to show that it's already fulfilled, that he supports everything the Bible and God has taught them up to that day. You know, Jesus you know, didn't cancel the Old Testament. Yeah, we don't have to come to God through sacrifice anymore, sacrifices of goats and, and rams and bulls and doves. We come to him still through sacrifice, through Jesus. We don't come to him through a temple in Israel. We come to him through the temple of our body and, our, and the Holy Spirit. That we can worship God in spirit and in truth in the mountaintop, in the valley, in Jerusalem, in New York City, wherever we are. And that was hard for people when their religion was based in this one place, in this one room, in this one system. And it still is. And I think that's why there's a lot of Messianic Jews that adhere to the Messianic stuff. And part of me is like, that's fantastic. There's no reason that they should stop having their Passover Seder. There's no reason that they should stop, you know, worshiping on a Saturday, so to speak. You know, Paul says, let one man esteem another day over another. But the point is, is that, man, to have those things fulfilled, how much more meaning should they have? But then on the flip side, us as Gentiles, I think we can appreciate them. But then I also see on the flip side is a lot of times a Gentile begins slipping in the relationship of the Lord. They begin looking for a palpable thing to hold on to. And so they begin to, to think that they need to celebrate Seder. They need to go through Passover. They need to do all these Jewish traditions in order to be a better Christian. And that's not the case. Because those, all those things are technically shadows of Jesus, shadows of heaven, that we have a better picture now. We have the Son of God. We don't need a high priest. We have a great high priest, uh, as Hebrews talks about. And so Paul went with that, you know, again, to make sure that, you know, he, want, he reached a lot of Gentiles. You know, we have the New Testament mostly written by Paul, and who's accepted it mostly through history? Well, Gentiles. But Paul's heart was for the Jews, and so going back to Jerusalem was something that his heart was about, and he went back there. Uh, they just made sure that, that the whole church was on the same page. This wasn't a council. This wasn't, you know, Spanish Inquisition. It wasn't like you may have heard about stuff going on in the Senate even today and the grandstanding and what a joke of justice, uh, a mockery of our uh, system they make of. It wasn't like that. It was just let's, let's have a board meeting and make sure that, you know, we're just communicating the same thing because these people are confused enough as it is. Let's make sure that we're teaching them what's important. And, uh, again, Paul even says here, like, I'm not going to make them do these Jewish things, but just make sure while you're in this society that you do the, just these couple of things. I think it's wise for us to, um, you know, uh, sexual immorality we want to stay away from. Idols, you know, Paul says, I'll never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble. And it's not because he's a vegetarian or, you know, he was about animal rights. I mean, God loves animals, but the point was in their day and age that that meat was offered to an idol, it spiritually stumbled them. So that's what all this is about here. Uh, so Paul's heart is for the Jews and the Gentiles, but he's willing to, you know, adapt to their local customs. Uh, you know, kind of like we moved here. I kind of want to be a Montanan. I don't want to make Montana like New York. I got out of New York for a reason. 
And that's why we're so afraid here of uh, people coming from other states because we don't want them to turn our state into their state that they left. Um, and that's important that when we minister to people, we hopefully in the spirit try and find out where they are and meet them where they are and, and get to the most important things. You know, it, you know if, if they need you to shave your head, shave your head. Just hair, you know. Uh, my wife won't let me shave my head. Just hair. I don't mind. I'll, as long as I don't have to eat bugs out of my beard, I'll do the John the Baptist thing all day long. Well, let's go on. Uh, verse 26. and uh, uh, well, I'll stop eventually. He says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, which time offering should be made for each one. So they, just, they, they went through with this as it should be. And God honored it. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, and I'll stop on that, that, that you know, God honors the things that we do for him. That there's nothing wrong with obeying the law. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're free from the law of God. That somehow it's okay if you murder. It's okay if you steal. You know, that you can go get away with all these things they didn't get away from. In fact, you have the power now to obey the law in ways that you never could before. All the good things you tried to do before in your flesh to make it up from God, now it, it's still hard at times. You're still going to fall and stumble, but you can now fulfill it in a deeper way. And as Christians, we should be, in a sense, the best, <laughs> the best Jews there are uh, because spiritually we're grafted into that tree. Uh, that, you know, our Gentile, Italian, Irish, English, whatever heritage isn't our heritage anymore. You know, in high school, we used to joke about being Irish or Jewish and make all sorts of jokes at each other. It was and fun. Um, but now, you know, I, I'm, I'm Irish, but I don't, you know, I, I'd love to visit Ireland again one day, but that's not my heritage anymore. That's not my identity. Um, and, uh, you know, our identity is in Jesus and who he's made us to be. And so Paul does that. He does these things that the Jews would do, um, and God honors it. And God will honor you and I as we obey him, uh, whether other Christians think it's necessary or not. You know, a lot of Christians think it's okay to get a tattoo. And, and I'm not going to say that they can't, but for me, I go, why would I want to do that? That's such a Gentile practice. Maybe I'm being legalistic, but I look at the Bible and it says, don't mark your body. Well, that's in the Old Testament. Okay. So, you know, yeah, it was written to the Jewish people. But for me, in my heart, the way God is convicted me ago I you know spiritually I would feel separated from the Lord if I did that like why do I need to do this what and then also on top of that I don't want to mark my body that you know yeah, I, don't, I don't think I, I would like it this week and I wouldn't like it next week and then I got it forever um, uh, you know my wife has tattoos and that's fine but she got them before the Lord um, and teach his own but I, I think like with that with that I'm not going to hold it against any Christian who does it but I'm going to pose the question like, what value does it really have? And challenge you in anything you do, and challenge me in anything I do, what value does it really have? Like, do I really need to get a verse tattooed on me? Do I really need to wear a Christian shirt or have a bumper sticker? And if you're doing it unto the Lord, and maybe God's called you to be totally tattooed up, I don't know. I'm not going to be legalistic. But that's, that's the point, is that we can fulfill the law without being bound by the law anymore. To where if you get a tattoo now, it's not like God's not going to love you. God's not going to use you. 
It's not like you're sinned and cast off. That's what would have happened under law. You broke that law. That was it. And God will honor that. So as we obey the scriptures, plenty of things like there about drinking, about other things, um, getting married or not getting married, if we do that, God will honor that. Whether other people understand it or not, God will bless you for it. And so when the seven days were up there in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd. Oh, I'm sorry. The Jews from Asia seeing Paul in the temple, this guy who they think is breaking all of Moses' law and now is in, the, is in a holy place, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law in this place, and furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. And it says, For these guys had previously seen these two Greek guys, Trophimus the Ephesian, with him in the city, and, and supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They're stirring up the crowd with rumors, with untruths about something this man never did, about what he teaches, but also who he brings in. You know, the Gentiles to the Jew were like a dog. Well, you're not going to bring that person here. And we talk about slavery in this country. You think about back in slave times or segregation. It would be like trying to bring someone across the segregation lines back in the 50s and 60s. And so they stir up this mob. They hate Paul, so they stir up others who are uninformed. And we talked about a couple weeks ago about the, the useful idiots to give them. Because they, they, it's like the same politically correct, we think we live in different times, but the same times. They, they use this argument that sounds, this guy is breaking our laws. This guy brought Gentiles in the holy place. None of them are true, but everyone, of course, is going to get stirred up by that. Because in their heart, they want to obey God, or at least in their religious practice, they think that it's the most important thing. So of course they're going to get stirred up by it. If they don't think, if they trust, and they just go along with what's being told them. And again, how often is today that people get, quote-unquote, canceled or called out or ministries try to be brought to ruin because of something someone said and you can't prove it. You know, like, you know, this whole, like, Me Too movement. Well, the person's called out in the media and tarred and feathered and loses their job before they've even gone to court. And, well, Paul knew this was coming. And as a believer, we should expect it. The more we follow God, we should expect more lies to be hurled about us and how much more important that we do everything according to the Scriptures that they might not have actual ammunition against us that we follow rules and regulations in our lives that may seem foolish to others, that the Bible may outline as wisdom to keep us out of those problems, to hedge our lives in with the law um, and view it as a protection and not as a prison. And all the city was disturbed. Paul really has an effect when he goes somewhere. Uh, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Dragged him out. You know, I think if Paul was in uh, Portland or Seattle right now, they'd probably drag him out of the city too. But now as they were seeking to kill him, they were going to stone him. You know, again, the Jews, if you broke the law and were a blasphemer, they could stone you illegally, at least under their Jewish law, not necessarily under their Roman law. Uh, but news came to the commander of the garrison and all the Jerusalem was in an uproar. The whole city. Word spread quick back in the day. And he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. I mean, these Romans occupying this place, thinking they can keep peace in the Middle East. I mean, 2,000 years later, it was, <laughs> there's not going to be peace in the Middle East. 
you know, they've been having trouble in Jesus' day, and now 30, 40 years later with, with Paul. Um, or maybe it was, I don't know what years, around that. Still problems there. And so they saw the commander and the soldiers, and they stopped beating Paul. So everyone was <laughs> going uh, nuts on Paul, giving him a knuckle sandwich. The cops show up. Whoa. Mm-mm. Everyone kind of stopped. Paul kind of laying there in a dust cloud, bloody. And the commander came near and grabbed Paul out of the crowd, and he commanded him to be bound with two chains. So now Paul was arrested by the Jews, and now he's arrested by the Romans. And what has he done? All he did was go to the temple and say, we've finished our vows. He wasn't doing anything wrong by either system of law. And the commander asked him who he was and what he had done. So modern-day Paul might say, am I being detained? You know, <laughs> am I free to go? You know, have I done a crime? And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So some people are crying, Paul did this thing wrong. Some are crying, they brought the Jews in or brought the Gentiles in. You know, they, they don't have a straight story about what happened. And so when the commander could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, the tumult, you know, the mob hurling stuff, he's like, ah, I've got no, it's one person's word against the other. He commanded him to be taken into the barracks. He's like, obviously this guy's done something. I don't know what it is, but I gotta arrest him for the very least fact that I gotta settle this mob down before they burn the city down. And don't we see that again today too? That people have done nothing wrong or being taken to court and arrested and the mob gets their way. But when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So the mob, even though he's arrested, even though the soldiers are carrying away, the mob hadn't given up. And we're trying to grab him and clang him and we're probably all over the soldiers. And so they, they had to carry Paul to get him out of there. And the multitude of the people followed after him, away with him. Away with him. Get him out of here. But they wanted to kill him. When they said away with him, they meant away with him to eternity. And verse 37 says, uh, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the co- uh, commander, May I speak to you? And he replied, Can you speak Greek? So imagine this. The mob's getting him, the Roman cops, so to speak, are taking him out of there. They have to carry him over, you know, firemen's carry him maybe to get him out of there. And as they're carrying him up and into, <laughs> into the barracks, Paul, like over the guy's soldiers, in Greek now, you know, because they were all speaking Jewish before. Greek was, even though Rome was Latin, Greek was the language that was spread across the empire. Uh, he says, hey, can I talk to you? <laughs> can you imagine? You know, uh, and so... Uh, the guard goes, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? I want to know what happened there. That sounds like an interesting story. <laughs> Somebody stirs up 4,000 assassins going to the wilderness. Um, you know, so this soldier has no idea even who Paul is. He's just like, great, we got this other guy. They probably heard the call come over the Roman radio, so to speak. We got this mob to go through, and they're all like, oh, I bet you it's that guy again. You know, he was here a little while ago. Uh, but Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Uh, you know, basically, hey, like, I'm Roman, like, can I, I should have my chance here. And uh, so when he had given him the permission, Paul stood on the stairs. You know, this is Roman soldiers probably like, all right, we've got a little bit of control of our situation now. Let's just see what happens. Um, you know, like, why not? I don't care. You know, like, there's certain... I'm sure there's police all the time who are like, you know, I don't care. 
you know, you're not doing anything wrong. I've, we've got the situation. You know, you do what you got to do. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and, uh, and motioned with his hand to the people. And then when there's a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. So think of this. This huge mob crying out to kill him, beating Paul to a bloody pulp. The cops show up, break it up, drag him out of there. They want him out of there. They're yelling and screaming. And Paul goes, hey, let me talk to them. Guards go, okay. Stands up and a silence breaks out. That's something special. That shows that the whole time, <laughs> even though Paul was being beat, that by the Holy Spirit, Paul, in a sense, was really in charge of the situation because God was in charge of the situation. That this was a holy shh over the crowd. You know, I, I'm sure if Trump stood up in front of a crowd of Antifa, they wouldn't go silent. They wouldn't let him speak. But for some reason, these guys let Paul speak. And I think that that's the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit there. Um, and I won't read 22. Well, maybe I will. We got a little time. Only 30 minutes. I'll read a little bit and see what we have in there. But that's, you know, that as God is doing something, you know, God is going to make a way to speak when there's no way to speak. When the people aren't listening, God made a way for them to listen. When the people were flat out rejecting him, God brought in like Romans talks about, Paul wrote in Romans, that uh, government is put in place by God. That God has put, in, put it in place to execute judgment and justice. That they don't bear the sword in vain, the scripture says. that The reason why the cops carry a gun and can point it at you when you're doing something wrong is because you're doing something wrong. And there has to be a minister to stop that. Justice has to be served. And the way God does it is through government at times. But Paul is able to speak here. And I, we'll, we'll pick it up next time. But the fact that he's able to speak and share, you know, right away the prophecy was coming true that he was going to be fine trouble. As soon as he goes in the center of town, even before that, they all know he's there. He has you know, brethren welcome him, but they got to deal with a problem because now Paul's in town. And now that he goes out there, they got to deal with another problem. The crowds and the people that... The prophecies that these other people spoke was from the Lord that there was certain problems here. And I think, you know, again, I wonder if Paul's going, if Paul is wondering as they're beating him, is this it? Am I going to get killed right away and not even have a chance to speak? But God had better plans. And in fact, God, as we'll see, uses this to bring Paul into Caesar's very own household. That this was a way to reach the Jews, but ultimately a way to reach uh, the entire uh, Western Empire. So, uh, Remember that when someone gives you a word from the Lord, take it and consider it. Pray about it, especially the interpretation, especially if they offer you interpretation. Because, like, for instance, with the gift of tongues, like, there should be an interpretation after two or three, and if there's not, then, you know, stop blabbing your mouth from the public. But with prophecy, too, sometimes people offer that interpretation of what that word of knowledge is for your life. Like, I believe God's called you to do this, or God's telling me to share this with you, brother or sister. Uh, you know, taking always consider it. You know, and don't brush it off because it's someone you don't know, or brush it off because they sound crazy. They might be. If you sense it's crazy, it probably is. But it doesn't mean you don't pray about it. I mean, I remember praying. I was out. I was a very small part of an outreach early on in my faith, and 
the town of Newburgh. Uh, uh, sort of a missionary hip hop crew came in to do something and I was part of it. I remember going down the streets and we were sharing the gospel and moving around, setting up and doing different hip hop shows and stuff. And a well-meaning believer um, from one of the other churches I didn't know saw me and, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something about to along the lines of, um, you know, I think God would have you go back to school because I wasn't in college. I dropped out of college and got saved, and I was, uh, you know, working in, uh, in ministry. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't realize how much in the ministry I was even at the time. Uh, you know, it wasn't like official paid ministry, but that's the path I was on. And uh, I was like, okay, so I didn't, really, I didn't really think about it. You know, I kind of thought about it. I hadn't really thought about it to that point, but I said, okay, thanks, you know, you know, whatever. Not sure about that. Uh, and then I went to consider it, and even around that time, uh, a little while later, I began to consider maybe I should go back to school, began looking into it. But as I prayed about it, God was like, school's not for you. This isn't what I have for you. Um, and you look back and go, well, okay, well, uh, I'm somewhat intelligent. I could have gone back to school. I could have worked and gone to school. My job even offered to pay for me to go back to school. Um, I didn't want to be beholden to them and go to school. And, you know, I wouldn't have any time for ministry. But the Lord made it clear that this word for me was not from him. Uh, it was well-meaning, well-assured, but the person probably just saw my young glasses, you know, not in school, and they thought this person should be in school because they were well-meaning. They cared for me in some sense, a young person, and they wanted good for me, right, because they think that going to school is good, which it could be. But it wasn't from the Lord. Like God had a totally different plan for me. So I say that just to say that, you know, Many people will give us advice that's well-meaning, uh, but it may not be what God has for us. And if it is, uh, you know, sometimes we need, just need to be willing to die and say, this is as hard as it's going to be, as tough as it's going to be, even though I know it's going to be hard, to still go and do what the Lord has called us to do. Amen? So God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you used Paul so greatly to even give him, in a sense, a desire towards the end of his life to reach the Hebrews. And, you know, I believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews, you know for sure, but it seems a whole lot like it, that even unnamed, you say, all right, Paul, <laughs> I'll be gracious and let this book sneak into the, the, the Bible. But God, your heart is for all people, Jews and Gentiles, and you've put us all in unique places to reach them, sometimes when they're just like us and sometimes when they're not at all uh, like us. And sometimes when, when things are easy and we have good fellowship and friends and support, and sometimes when we're all alone in the middle of a mob, uh, who wants to kill us. Uh, but God, help us to stay the course, to go straight and follow your voice and not turn to the left or the right. God, that many would come to see you for who you are. God, one who's in control, uh, even of uh, crazy circumstances. And uh, thank you for all those who have spoken into our lives, well-meaning and not. And, uh, and thank you for all the people that have listened to us over the years. And we pray that, God, uh, only your words would stick. And whether we encourage them the right way or not, may somehow you use that to encourage them to follow you. We love you, God, and trust you for these things. Bless our night, and come soon, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.